Uh, Lord, we, again, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are true. We thank you for celebrating us, uh, for saving us. I'm sorry. Yes, Lord. You didn't have to do it. You know, when I, I think of, oh, wretched man am I, I just, I sense it with a sense of joy now. As opposed to sorrow. Because I know, oh, wretched man am I, yet you still went to the cross for me. What an amazing God we serve. You are wonderful, Lord. You are wonderful. You are worthy. We thank you so much. We contemplate you when we read about things like, yet while you were still sinners, Jesus died for you. (laughs) Yet while we're still at enmity with God, he had a plan and a purpose and a way. When we receive that name of Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life, and we recognize that none will go to the Father except through the Son. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, if you want to start, I'll just start real quick in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And as you're going there, there's a lot of things that have been on my mind. And one of the things that just sticks with me and has been with me for quite some time is the magnitude of the moment that we were saved and how directionally it can seem like such a small little thing to pray that simple prayer, Jesus, I believe, and receive that gift of salvation. But it is miraculous what had to take place for us to be brought from an eternal death to an eternal life. And it is cause for celebration. And no matter what we talk about here, no matter what we read, no matter what we're meditating on or contemplating on, no matter what we're praying, we always need to come to that place of that miracle did take place and it's forever. It's interesting that it's going to, there's been kind of a theme and it's coming right back around to it. Maybe there's just a reason that God repeats things and if he does, then I would assume it's important is that the enemy will use every effort it can to say, if you were saved and told that you are a new creation, then why do you keep standing? Why are you falling into the same stupid traps? Now, what the enemy is going to whisper in your ear right at that moment is, because you're not saved. Or he's going to say, you did it too many times, so you've lost your salvation. Or he's going to say, and all of these are non-truths. Pretty easy in the natural man to believe these things. Of course, that's why the enemy uses them. Or that you're not good enough. Or that maybe it's not true. But the truth never changes and it doesn't fail. God doesn't change his mind. And Jesus didn't die and make a mistake or fail. The salvation is true and it's forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 tells us, It is because of him that you are in in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. I love those three things right there. I'm really going to talk more on the middle one today, but all of them are so critical and important. As we talk about dropping off our iniquity and picking up the righteousness of God, all of those things that the enemy is telling you, you've sinned too many times, you're too bad, he can't save you, are all lies of the enemy. Because it doesn't matter how unholy or unrighteousness we were or even where we currently are when we're wrestling with the flesh and the spirit. The work of the cross is finished work. So we pick up the righteousness of Christ. Be done with that and move on. And it's from that point that that working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds can take place incrementally. Which means there's going to be stumblings and there's going to be failures and there's going to be backsteps and all those things that come along with it. But that first portion is already done. And it's again going to be the enemy that brings about condemnation and tries to get you to doubt that fact. Now that can be used to justify some hypocrisy and that's a whole other conversation. But I'm talking about the basics of the gospel right now. If you've been saved, you've been saved. And I can honestly say that about myself. 
I can say that about my family, and I can say that about everybody I'm looking at right here and right now. And it goes back to that importance, if you're not saved yet, of getting that first step done. Which really has nothing to do with you anyway, because it's already been done. What's the response on your behalf? Believe or not believe. Accept or reject. A gift is no good if I give you a gift and you just never open it. It's just a wrapped box. It's on you to open it or not open it. When Jesus gave us a gift that brings us to eternal salvation and eternity with God. And the response is just to accept it. How simple. How wonderful. How beautiful. How glorious. How miraculous and complicated. But for us, it's just a simple accepting of the name of Jesus Christ. And then a resting in that. And then a moving in what he has for the rest of our lives, which is where we're going to end up talking about mostly today. And that's his righteousness, his holiness, his sanctification, which is what we're going to focus on a lot today, and his redemption. So I just want to talk about the definition of holy. I just pulled it up, Merriam's Webster Dictionary, and it says, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. And the definition of sanctify is very similar, is to set apart to a sacred purpose or to religious use and to, to free from sin or to fear, purify. To sanctify a person is to make them holy and that is God's will for us. <clears throat> In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you to how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. To do this more and more. I just want to focus on that moment right there. There is this progression of what it takes to go from, from being a natural man into being a reflection of Jesus Christ. The salvation portion is done. Never question that again. Move forward. Because there's going to always be a more and more that takes place inside our hearts. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such, such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human, a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Wow, that's pretty intense, right? Every day we make decisions. And I'm going to let you know right now because I don't want to plagiarize without giving credit where credit's due. I've been in a book right now called um, I Declare War. And it's a great book so far. In fact, I'm getting close to being done with it. It's just a very simple and easy to read book. I've been listening to it on Audible, really, so it's super easy. Um, but it's a really easy, simple concept, but something that's so easy to evade, that evades us so easily. And it's just the concept of declaring war on my natural self so that I can live more for Christ. So that I can deny the things I want to do in my flesh and accept and receive the things that have eternal value. I know we've talked about that so many times. I picked up this book not knowing what it was about and just, again, fell so in line with kind of the theme I feel that God has really been putting on my heart for where we're at as a body, as a people, where I'm at personally, where I think we need to be moving forward in our maturity and in our, in our knowledge of Jesus. <clears throat> and how we walk this life out. Sin has a consequence. And it goes back to, again, the basics of the gospel. There's nothing we could have done to our save ourselves. We weren't dying in our sin. We were dead in our sin. Why? Because it takes this much sin, maybe even smaller, a fraction, a nothing, I told a lie one time when I knew it was wrong. Well, now you're out of heaven. You're done. It's over. Sounds pretty bad, right? 
Well, I've done a lot more than that to disqualify myself from going to heaven. But Jesus has become my righteousness. That's how that works. It's amazing to me when the world shakes its fists at how unfair God is because we're suffering all these terrible things in this world and all those things were mad, man-made terrible things. Yet God is also the one that made a way that in my depravity and yet while I was still a sinner and while I was still at enmity with God, I could still receive the name of Jesus Christ and drop off my iniquity, drop off my wretchedness on that final day and pick up the righteousness of God and be destined to be a co-heir with Christ. That line blows me away. A co-heir with Christ in heaven. We should be jumping up and down. We should be singing psalms and praises and hymns to him all day long. If that remembrance, if that fact is constantly on our minds and on the tip of our tongues, what else could we possibly utter that would have any value? Man, I love that. I love that. So as I was looking at specifically sanctification, because I I think I told you I was looking more at his holiness and really our holiness and, and where are we in this? There are three phases of sanctification, and again, I went through and used www.gotquestions.org and found a great description, so I'm going to read that to you right now. A short one, though, not 20 pages. Sanctification is a translation of the Greek word hagiasmos, meaning holiness or a separation. In the past, God granted us justification at once for all. That's positional holiness in Christ. That is the holiness we received when we were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of the gospel message. And that sanctification is once and for all. Now, God guides us to maturity, a practical, progressive holiness. And in the future, God will give us glorification, a permanent, ultimate holiness. These three phases of sanctification separate the believer from the penalty of sin. That's the first step, right? From death to life. The power of sin, as the temptation of the world is trying to get us to react to the world in a natural man type of way, constantly working out that maturity in Christ, that we're always responding to the outside inputs in a mature, spiritual, Christ-like manner. And then the soon-to-come glorification. When this body passes away and we pick up the, the righteousness of Christ and live in eternity with him. Or Jesus comes back right now. Or now. Or now. We're always waiting, right? I was talking to my wife earlier today and we were just discussing what would it be like. Oh, I'll back up. The reason I, we even brought it up is I've been watching this TV show. I told you I love TV shows and movies and all that good stuff. And um, I'm like three seasons in and I just think it's a thought. <laughs> It was a great show. It really was. And it had some content that was just more about the world, but it wasn't super despicable and terrible and all that stuff. But it just started to slide into where I saw the agenda coming. And then once it really got into the agenda, I started going, man, here I have another input that's having an impact on what I see and what I think. You know? It was really last night that I finally, I had like a, I think a, an episode and a half left in this one season. And I was like, I went through the episode and a half in about 10 minutes because I could tell as I was fast forwarding through that it wasn't going to get better. It was only going to get worse. There's like five more seasons on there and I'm like not interested in any way whatsoever. Thank you, Lord. Because in the flesh, I want to watch the show and these characters are cool and the acting's great and all that stuff. But I just know and I can feel the Holy Spirit saying, this is not righteousness. This does not lead to life, it leads to death. This is the thing that gets in your head and compromises your ability to react from a Jesus point of view, from a Jesus perspective to the world around you. And I only, I'm saying that to encourage us together. This is where I'm at. This has been my experience. So I put it to you. So it brought up the conversation of what if? And I go, what if? I think we're destined to have a world in which 
everybody's surrounded by the presence of God. So if this, and again, now I'm just projecting what could it be like as we read, and I don't know how it's going to, I don't understand exactly how it's going to end, but there's ideas that God's going to come and reign for 10, Jesus is going to come and reign on this earth in perfection, in his righteousness for 10,000 years. Well, what would that world look like when it's all about Jesus all the time? And the people that are here are focused on Jesus all the time. And the rules and the regulations and the attitudes and opinions and ideas and characters and cultures are all dedicated, surrounded by, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. What will our neighbors be like? What will our friendships be like? Will there still be movies and what movies will they be? Will there still be these awesome TV shows and what will those TV shows be about? What will be the agenda? behind the world. And all I can see is, man, if everybody's loving the Lord with all their minds and all their hearts and all their strength, and if everybody's loving their neighbors as they love themselves, well, we've reached paradise, right? I can imagine a world where there's no waste and there's no trash and there's no, you know, Great Pacific patch and there's no ozone layer going away and all those other things. And all I can think of, was that Eden? You know, is that what we're destined to? I hope so. And if we're called to bring about the kingdom, and I'll read it in a little bit, but I just love that phrase that says, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added. And I know that gets taken out of context to promote this prosperity gospel, which is so unbiblical and wrong. But as I realized, if we seek first the kingdom, then the desires of our heart are going to change from desires of the flesh to desires of the kingdom. And some could say, well, that's cheesy. You're just changing what you want to what God wants and then just receive that. Well, what's wrong with that? Because what God wants is going to be the best. What God wants for our lives is the best that we could possibly be doing with our lives anyway. If I seek first a Lamborghini, well, it wouldn't be a Lamborghini for me. If I seek first a 1965 Shelby Cobra, and then his kingdom after that, then I truly believe that that 1965 Shelby Cobra will not be a blessing, it'll be a curse. If I seek first his kingdom, he'll add whatever the desires of my heart are in alignment with the heart of God, which could be a 65 Cobra, and it could not be, but my happiness and my joy are still the same. So who cares about the Shelby Cobra? Who cares about the surfboard? Who cares about the guitar or whatever? Trinkets, man. Yeah. Trinkets. But the kingdom of God and his will in my life at all times results in nothing but blessing, no matter where that lands or what it looks like. So the place we're in right now, and again, that's why I was saying today's kind of a message for those that are already saved. That's why I think it is also critical, whoever's watching right now, to be saved. That first step is death or life. None of this other stuff we're even talking about matters at all if you're walking in death. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is an eternity for all of us, and that eternity is complete separation from God without Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. I can't express that enough, and I feel like that's really coming to the surface more and more right here, right now. And Rob brought it up and it just stuck. Don't fall into an eternity you're not prepared for. By failing to open that stinking present that's sitting in the corner. It's there for you. It was given for you. This human instinct to say, oh, I didn't earn it. I got to earn it. I'm not good enough. All that trash is lies of the enemy, lies of the devil, lies of the world that has nothing, that has, desires nothing more than to separate you from the gift that's been given. Pick it up and unwrap it and be brought from death to life. So here we are being saved. <laughs> Experiential Progressive sanctification, the middle phase, is the phase we are in now as those who have been saved by the finished work of the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. I'm going to read this again. 
And I read this today and it just jammed me right in the heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's you and I. He made us perfect forever as we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, I would say from my perspective, that doesn't start right now because I am far from perfect, but I'm destined for the righteousness of Jesus. And what confirms that in my mind's eye as I look here has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's the process that's taking place. If we have conviction about things we should or should not do, if we have conviction about things that are helpful for the maturity, our maturing and our moving towards Christ-likeness, if that's a word, then we should make those changes. But God has given us that grace that we can have the convictions to make those changes as we progress in this path from being a wretched man to a wretched man that's destined for the righteousness of Jesus into a full reflection of Jesus Christ walking this earth and having an amazing impact on this earth as we walk it out. Biblically speaking, we're told that that'll never come to be while we're here on earth. But boy, if we could make any kind of progress while we're walking it out, what value is it going to have? Amazing value. Exponential value. Which means today we can plant that tree that, yes, we should have planted 20 years ago and would right now be a mighty oak. But if we plant that tree today, and this is to you who don't believe yet, receive that gift and plant that tree now. Because 20 years later, you're going to have a mighty oak. And what's amazing about the gospel message, I'll go back right now to Calvary. There was a thief that was right next to Jesus. He planted that tree minutes before he passed away and still ended up as a mighty oak, as a co-heir with Christ in heaven because that's the God we serve and that's the promises he made. Don't walk out your door today without knowing that you are saved and destined for his righteousness. That's unfair. I didn't earn it. Yep, you didn't earn it. I'm not worthy. Yep, you're not worthy. Be done with those arguments because you weren't called to earn it. And you're not capable of learning it anyway. There was one sacrifice. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. That's not your sacrifice. You're not capable of it. You're not worthy of it. But Jesus is. And he made the sacrifice. That work is done. And now you can begin to be made holy because of the workings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that come along with that salvation. It's a gift on a gift. There is something required of us after we've been saved. The challenge, and I like to say it like that because sometimes we go, oh, there's weaknesses and strengths when we talk about people and employees and Marines or whatever. There's that weaknesses and strengths. I really kind of went away from that weakness thing because it's not a weakness. It's a challenge on us. It's a challenge on you. It's a challenge on me. And the challenge is to deny yourself. Deny ourselves and strive for righteousness. We are called to seek first his kingdom in all things. And there's freedom in this. But there are some deeply ingrained habits how we think, how we talk, how we act, how we respond to others, yes. how we respond to temptation, our attitude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's many, many more. Just ingrained, natural human habits that have to be broken. This will have to start with how we talk and how we think. Now today I really want to focus more on how we think, but it's really, really hard for me to skip over talking and the power of the tongue and go right into thought. So I'm going to circle back, talk about talking, and I have a feeling next week we're probably talking a lot about the power of the tongue. <laughs> but I just want to touch on the tongue right now. When we're saved, we're brought from death to life. And there's that adage that we still have the tattered old tent, right? But over time, the reflection of what has changed on the inside should reflect outside too. 
And I know for me, I, I have a mouth that won't stop sometimes. And, and everything we do internally, I just want to touch on this. It was something in that book that, that the author said, and I thought it was great, and I just want to share it with you now, is that God used his words to speak the universe into being. He said, he said, and it was good. He said, and it was good. He said, and it was good. That power of the, of the tongue, of the words, to bring life, right? And then he made man in his image. And then he took man and said, name all these things. So it was mankind that said with his words over all these things in creation, animals and plants. And there was power in that because God honored the words that were coming out of the man and respected them and let them stay. What an indication of the power of the tongue and the mouth because it's an outward manifestation of everything that's inside. And we can be so flippant and foolish and straight stupid about the things that come out. I say that with so much conviction <laughs> and sorrow and repentance, Lord, to this day of the things that spill out that are just death and foul and stupid and worthless. It's like taking a broadsword that's beautiful and amazing and wonderful and, and great and using it to chop firewood, you know? Or taking something amazing and just having no respect for the power in it. So I just want to touch that now, that if today, <laughs> if you want to take those steps, if you take that step and you're saved today, and say, okay, as we move forward, because it ain't over yet. I think I wrote this silly little thing on here that just said, thank God we're saved. Hallelujah, I'm saved. What now? We have a whole life ahead of us. <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing? Let's start with taming our tongues and reflecting Jesus. Let's speak life and not death. Yeah. And we'll come back to that. Because <laughs> there are so many, so many biblical references to what the, tongue, the power of the tongue and the spoken word. Yeah. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yes. Just as we were saved by the power of Jesus, by no ability of our own, I just want to first start that there is a response on our behalf when it comes to how we walk this life out and there is an obligation on our, on our part to do things like have discipline and willpower and all those things to deny ourselves and pick up the cross and to walk this life out in a holy manner. And again, I want to reemphasize that there's going to be stumblings and failings all along the way. But step one's already done. Never forget that. Yes. It's never too late to repent and change. Again, in this book I was reading... You know, it says in the Bible that the Lord has new mercies for us every day. And that's cool. What an amazing, amazing statement. And it's true. Because that's the God we serve. But that's just the way it's phrased. And God isn't bound by time. And we are. That's why we make our, our, our uh, New Year resolutions. That's why a lot of time I say, man, I'm sick of being fat. I'm going to go paleo and I'm starting on Monday. Why Monday is always the starting day and this and that or whatever it is, you know. But it doesn't have to be that way. So if you wake up in the morning and you forgot to pray or you prayed but you just weren't feeling it. You read some word and you drank coffee and somebody cuts you off on the way to, the, on the way to wherever. And we respond in a negative way. It's okay to repent and start again, <laughs> right then. You don't have to say, oh man, I ruined this day. Okay, well, I'll start tomorrow, I guess, which opens us up to just doing whatever we want to do for the next 23 hours, right? It's okay to repent immediately and start over immediately. God is not tied to a Monday through Sunday calendar, and neither are you. So immediately get back into, into what you need to do. 
But the priority and what I really want to express is it is still through the Holy Spirit that we can achieve change. Paul talks about, I count everything before I knew Christ as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to change ourselves either, just as there was nothing we could do to save ourselves without the Holy Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit. That power of Jesus Christ, that power of God that rose Jesus from the grave, that power of Jesus that rose Lazarus from out of the grave is the same power. There's a song that sings it beautifully that lives in me. That power is alive. But God is still a God of freedom and free choice. So we still have the opportunity to accept or reject what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. It is more than your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside you telling you that that show is no good for you. It's probably time to move on. It's that Spirit of Jesus, that Spirit of God that's inside you saying, alcohol is not really doing it for you anymore and is probably doing more bad than good. It might be time to go ahead and not do that anymore. You see where that comes from? It's more than just saying some, uh, simply, I'm not going to drink anymore for the Lord prior to having the conviction. Now, I'm not saying if there's an alcohol problem and stuff, immediately stop it, for sure. But as the Holy Spirit prompts us into a conviction, then your probability of success in that is greatly higher. I'm not going to smoke anymore just because I don't want to because I've heard that it's bad. And you're probably going to continue smoking. If you come to that place of, I'm always sick. I can't run more than a mile without hacking. I'm reading in the Bible that I should treat my body as a temple. My body is the residence of the Holy Spirit, which is God. How am I treating my body? Maybe I shouldn't smoke anymore. You're probably going to be successful with that kind of conviction behind your decision to have the willpower to stop smoking is very high that you're going to succeed, right? Because it's not just my man-made willpower trying to force something to happen. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The same God who spoke the universe into being is behind that conviction. And then there's a little slice of willpower behind it. And understanding his grace so much, you know that you can even have some stemblings. But you're not going to go for a couple days, smoke a cigarette, and then say, ah, heck with it. You're going to smoke a cigarette, repent, come back to the original conviction, and carrying on into that 20 years of having not smoked. The tree you planted today. 20 years later, running a marathon or something, you know, and honoring God saying, wow, man, God put this conviction on my heart and look at me now, right? Benefit to me, to the glory of God. Wow, that's awesome. There was this fad way back in the day, God, like the power of positive thinking. And I still want to use that term, even though the power of positive thinking kind of movement was ridiculous, and stupid thinking about a Lamborghini and magically having it happen that way. So I said, not the self-help trash, not the unbiblical prosperity gospel, but the active effort to reject worldly thoughts and meditate on righteous thoughts. To be a man who yearns for righteousness, to be a man who actively in his mind seeks first the kingdom of God. It's so clear to me that man is in a state where you can have thoughts that are, man, all kinds of terrible, horrible thoughts, violent thoughts, angry thoughts, hateful thoughts, lustful thoughts, uh, um, blasphemous thoughts can come into our minds. These wayward ideas that come in. I had a friend who said, and I know it's a term he got from somewhere else and who knows where it started, but a bird may land on your head, you just don't let it make a nest. God knows your heart. He knows where we are in the physical realm. And he knows we're walking around in this world that's specifically designed to get that bird onto your head and get you to make, let it make a nest. So don't be condemned if your mind goes somewhere. Go back to God. Brush it off. Move your head. Don't let it make a nest. Don't make plans around it. Certainly don't act on it. And on top of that, this is the God we serve. If you stumble, if you fail... Well, then get that nest back off your head. Stand back up and get back into the word and know that he saved you forever. I got to go back to that, that word. The finished work is finished work. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You are already made perfect because that righteousness of Jesus that you will pick up 
And while here, you are being made holy, which means that process is still in place. And the enemy will do everything he can to make you stop progress at any given point. Why would he want to stop us from making progress and progress and being more mature in Jesus? If we're already saved, then what's the point of the enemy moving against us anyway? He's lost us. Because our heart's desire and the commands that Jesus gives us is to go forth and make nations. As we pray today, to seek and save the lost, to spread the gospel message. And our impact on the world is severely reduced if the enemy gets us to stop in place and have no more progress. If we come into a gym like this and we lift the same amount of weights every time and never step out of that comfort zone, then the max amount of weight you will be able to lift is that amount every time. God does not call us to stay there. He calls us to reign in our thoughts. It makes me think of those impure thoughts that come into your mind and how amazing the body is with bacteria, how something impurity gets injected into your body um, or a virus or something like that. And the body's immune response is to surround it with these cells that protect it from infecting the rest of the body and kind of push it out. You ever seen somebody who had a splinter that was too deep? I've seen somebody have this and he had a splinter in his, I can't remember where it was, but it was like in there for like a year, you know, and just kind of didn't know it was there. But he remembered the event and he remembered pulling out most of the splinter, but some of it didn't come out. It was pretty deep. But it was like a year later, he's like, man, I got this bump coming up and the bump came up and he kind of popped it. I know, kind of gross, but whatever. He popped it out and sure enough, there was the end of the splinter from like a year ago. The body has that capability to receive something, isolate it so it doesn't infect the rest of the body and push it right back out. Individual cells do things like that. Man, what an amazing body God put yeah. together. It blows me away. And this is just the body. This is nothing, right? This is the easy stuff. To me, it's just mind-boggling. Anyway, <laughs> man, what a God we serve, man. He is so creative. I'm going to back up real quick, too, because I've made some comments earlier about I'm always impressed with the creativity of man when it comes to Hollywood and movies and books. And I still, to a degree, am, but I've really been thinking about that a lot lately, and I want to kind of back up a little bit on that. I started really looking at those things and realizing that they're all just distortions or creative remakings of what God already put into place. Yeah, I was watching Star Wars. I like the Clone Wars cartoons type things. And I remember they were going through this world and everything was amazing and weird and different. And then I realized, well, it's cool that he came up with the idea of this bird that's kind of like a lizard bird. But if this creator didn't know about a lizard or a bird, what would he have come up with? Yeah. Right? Those are just God-made things that were changed a little bit. And I'm blown away with the creativity. Wow, what a simple mind, what a simpleton I am, right? When I really think of, well, what would this guy do if he didn't have a world to reference and change if it was just a white blank sheet of paper? Again, it goes back to, what would I have made if I made the world? And I think about it and go, man, it would have this and that. Oh, wait, that's already made. I'm just changing things. What would I do if I had no clue or no idea? I mean, would it just be stick figures? And even what would those stick figures look like? Nothing. I don't even know what I would come up. I don't think I'd be able to come up with anything. Again, nature screams the existence of the God we serve. A bird may land on your head, but don't let, let it make a nest. I think I misspelled that. These thoughts, I know I, I talked earlier about habits that need to be changed. And there was a long list of them, right? And that's why I really wanted to start with thoughts. The mouth is the overflow of the heart. It's good to close that mouth. If you don't have anything to say, then you should be a very quiet person all the time. I was talking to my wife recently. I have made a conviction, a conviction decision <laughs> recently to say, man, I really need to just only speak positivity and encouragement, which we, I failed today, right? Because we were talking. That's why I was like, I got to stop talking about this. I went out surfing recently and, and met a, one of my neighbors without their surfing. And we had a great time. And he was pretty angry about some longboarders out there. And he said, longboarders. And I had to say, sorry, bro, I can't engage in this conversation at all. Because I know it's not going to be encouragement or niceness. So I'm like, 
I can either find a way to speak about this from a Jesus perspective or not talk about it at all. If you have nothing nice to say, say nothing. Such a simple little phrase, but it applies here. And I told my wife, you know, I'm really going to make a committed effort to speak life and not death. And she said, so you're barely going to be talking, huh? All right. Maybe at first. <laughs> but those, 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 those words also come from our thoughts. And I'm encouraging you now and saying, come along with me in this to make another committed effort. That as we walk this out and become more mature, that we recognize the impure thoughts immediately and we surround them with those blood cells and push them out. As Paul says, I take captive those thoughts and make them subject. I just read it, right? Let me, well, why am I trying to paraphrase when I got it right in front of me? Therefore, any, uh, let me see. Ah, goodness. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So when those thoughts come in my mind, I, I don't even have to, wa I don't want to wait until I have to stop it at my mouth. And that's a good starting point. I, I want to start it upstream. Does that make sense? If my mind is constantly thinking on righteous things, then everything that comes out of my mouth should be righteousness and life and encouragement and love and patience and kindness. So let's start here, and we'll talk about that more, closing our lips when we don't have anything nice to say, recognizing thoughts that are coming out as negative or hostile or angry, all the opposites to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and stop them there. And again, I think I'm going to talk about more about that next week, unless God changes direction. But let's start with our thoughts, because our thoughts are not only going to affect what we say, but they're going to affect our attitudes and our character. And our words. One time Justice was out, in the, out surfing with me. This is something I kind of learned in the Marine Corps, but uh, it's helped me in a lot of ways for a lot of things. And if you've got some conviction in this, no, I'm not saying anything about you. I'm just encouraging you in this. He was out there, and we were both in the water, and it was pretty cold. We had our wetsuits, and he said, he was like this, tightened up and shivering. And I said, are you cold? He's going to the Marines soon. He's going to have to deal with some pretty uncomfortable situations. He said, yeah, I'm cold. And I said, you want to try something different and see if it helps you out? And he said, yeah. And I said, stop shivering. Really? He didn't understand. I said, stop shivering. There's going to time when it's so cold you're going to shiver naturally because you have to, right? It's a way that your body keeps it warm. But that level of coldness is much later than people think it is. But now we're so used to it that our habit is to respond to coolness or cold and start tightening up and shivering before you had to. But you're also sending a message to the rest of your body saying, it's cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm com uncomfortable. So stop telling your body that you're cold. Relax your body and stop shivering. And act like it's warm. You know? And for him it worked. Now, I'm not saying you, you're up to that point of hypothermia. Yeah, sooner or later you're going to have to tighten up and shiver, and that's okay. But we live in San Clemente. <laughs> The probably that you have to tighten up and shiver probably when you make a road trip up to Brian Head or something like that. But it ain't here. So if you find yourself in that position, oh, this is just a little thing, try it. See if it works for you. How does this apply to what we're talking about today? If thoughts are in your head and you're feeling angry or hateful or all the violent or all those things, then attack those thoughts and push them out. If somebody cuts in front of you and your response is going to be one way, then immediately attack it and train your body to not respond like that. And get to that place where you say, what do we do with our enemies? We pray for our enemies. We love our enemies. But what good is it to you to love your friends? Everybody loves their friends. The pagans love their friends. This is all in the Bible. <laughs> you know. But to be like Christ, well, you've got to love your enemy. What did he say about the people that were pinning him to a cross? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. What did Timothy say when he was getting stoned to death? 
Forgive them, Father. They know nothing. Don't hold them to account for this. Don't send them to an eternity that they're not prepared for. Wow. That book was called In the Presence of My Enemies, by the way, if you ever look for it. And I, again, that was one I listened to on Audible. And when she said that, man, I was like, brought to tears. Because I was just like, Lord, do I have what it takes to stand in the kind of the strength that that woman stood in to say something like that over these people, right? If we control our thoughts and give our thoughts over to Christ, then he will lead us in righteousness, that the things that come out of our mouths will reflect what's in our heart, the kingdom of God. That we will have no ability to speak death because we're overflowing with life. Because of that name of Jesus Christ. If you stumble, if you trip, get back up, warrior. Because it is a call to action. And I love that part. For me, I love that part. And I hope it is for you too. If you're shivering and tightening up, then warrior, relax your body and tell yourself you're okay. I know, again, this is no condemnation. It's similar to, if you feel a little weird, don't necessarily tell yourself you're sick yet doesn't mean you won't get sick ever. But I believe in that power of the attitude in the mind to reject the idea that you're going to get sick and it turns out you had a gas bubble. You know? And it goes away a couple hours later. But if you fixate on it and you focus on it, I'm sick. I'm going to get sick. I'm getting sick. Oh, that's it. I'm done. Your body will react to that. And those are just the simple things. But there's power in this and there's power in that. And they all affect this, and this affects everything else. <clears throat> That's something, just try it. Try it out. See if it works for you. Same way I told Justice. Try it out. See if it works for you. And by the way, it did work for him. He did feel better. <clears throat> Habit changing is uncomfortable at first, but over time it gets exponentially better. I know. I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> I said I was going to go short. It's like trying to quit smoking. It's pretty uncomfortable for the first day. By three days, it's getting better. But by the time you've gone a month or two, it's so much easier than it was on day three. Like, not just 30 days easier, but like a year easier. Does that make sense? It's like doubling everything. One to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, 16 to 32. It wasn't one by one by one. It wasn't chronological incremental growth it's exponential growth and i truly see the same when we commit ourselves to the things of god that in our nature in our heart in our attitude in our minds in our thoughts that there's exponential growth behind it so when we make that commitment to take captive these thoughts that are not of god and push them out then it's going to get easier and easier and easier to do to the point that that's never an issue anymore or it rarely is, or it's such a simple, where'd that come from, man? I haven't thought of that stuff in years. Huh. And then off it goes, flying away somewhere else, never had a chance. Yeah. And that has everything to do with our character and our attitudes, and those are all things that are probably coming in the next few weeks too. But let's just start there. I just encourage you friends, let's start there, let's make that commitment to take captive all the thoughts in our minds and, and give them over to Christ yes. so that we can reflect him well, that we can move forward in our maturity so that we can give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to finish the work that was started on, from that day that we were first saved. I just want to end with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Lord, we lift you up we thank you, Jesus, that you bore our sins on your shoulders as you went to the cross. We thank you, Jesus, fully God and fully man. As sweat poured out of your, as, as blood came out of your pores, as your body was reacting to the stress so badly that you would even utter those words, God, if this can cup, uh, cup can pass from me but the hero that you are. The very next phrase, but your will be done, not mine. Yes. 
we contemplate the cross, that you could have come down from on it at any moment, yet you stayed and bore it all because you knew that without this heroic, miraculous act, that we would be doomed to an eternity separated from God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. And we find our peace there. And now we lean on the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit that you would change us. You changed us into new creations on that day. That the sinful man nature no longer manifested and animated from within us, but that the sin that is remaining is our habitual responses to the outward sinful inputs from the world around us. That you would help us, Lord, to respond to those, those inputs from a Christ perspective. That we would see people as Jesus sees people. That we would reject unrighteousness and walk away from temptation. No, run away from temptation, as you've called us to. That we would live our lives more and more and more righteously every day. That our thoughts would be pure and righteous thoughts. That our words would be words of life. For your kingdom. As we rest in the salvation assured by you. Let us go out and make disciples of the nations. Through our attitudes. Through our character. Through our words. Through our acts. All manifested and directed by you our wonderful Jesus Christ, the way and the truth and the life. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We anxiously await your return. And we glorify your heavenly name, name above all names, worthy of all praise, worthy to be lifted high. We submit it all to you. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, our great, great King, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Uh, thank you for joining us. Amen. Have a wonderful week. See you guys next week.